Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. Today I'm going to speak about, if you're taking notes, uh, spiritual authority. And we all need spiritual authority, but a lot of the time we don't know what spiritual authority actually is. And so I'm going to touch on that. I'm going to say, you know, like, for instance, where does it come from? How do we get it? Can we increase our authority? Can it be stunted or shut down? What does, a spiritual, what does spiritual authority mean for the Christian today? Now, the word authority, if you look in a dictionary, this is what I got anyway. The word authority, this is what it says. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. And then the other one is, an authority is an organization having political or administrative power and control. And then, then there's another one that uh, you have an authority or an authority in a certain subject means you know all about that, that subject. But I've often asked myself, and I was asking myself this question, you know, about authority. And, you know, where do we get authority? Or does victory come before authority? Or does authority come before victory? Think about that for a while. Because I, I, I know the answer. <laughs> I've worked it out. But actually, when I say authority comes before victory, a lot of people say that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense to the world. It, it purely does not make sense that authority comes before victory because we're conditioned in the world to believe that you have to have victory to have that authority, you know, look at the uh, examples of elections. We vote, and we vote, and whoever that party is that gets voted in, they become the authority. There's other examples, uh, wars. Nations war against each other. Whoever wins the war, what happens? They become the authority. Uh, small things like arguments. You know, you have an argument, you feel you've won the argument, you, you're, you're, you're all of a sudden, you've got the bragging rights, sports, all those sorts of things. <coughs> Even education, when you think about it, you know, you need to pass exams or get the qualifications before you step into, you know, uh, an authoritative position, so, you know, a position to get that authority. So we're actually, in the world, we're conditioned to believe that you need victory or a win before you get the authority, but for the Christian, it is exactly the opposite because the actual ultimate victory was won 2,020 years ago. So we already should have that authority. We shouldn't have to, um, you know, go after qualifications. We, as Christians, have, have that authority. But the problem is, because we're in the world daily and we're, we're coming under that, that, uh, that influence of, oh, no, you need these qualifications, you need to win before you have the authority, we get buffeted around and confused, and and um, you know we, we 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 tend to forget, or not forget, but we just don't step into the authority that has been given to us, and um, we let ourselves be confined to the ways of the world, but we can't be trapped in believing that we don't have the authority until we've attained some sort of qualification, because that's what the enemy wants, and he wants us to believe that we don't have authority. That if if he could have every Christian in the world believing we don't actually have authority, he's won. He's won the war, but that's not the case. 
And as you're coming into the church, as you're learning more and more, you might actually be saying these things to yourself like, you know, I don't have the confidence to pray for others because I don't feel worthy. When in actual fact, you should feel worthy if you're a Christian to pray for others. But, but you get stuck. You don't have the confidence. Uh, what's another one? You know, as you, as you grow in, the Christian, uh, in, in your Christian walk and then, you know, maybe the, the mantle of leadership's on you, but you're like, oh, give me another five years in the church and I'll, I'll be ready for a cell. To, to run a celebration group you know you haven't stepped into that authority what's another one we hear uh, you know I should actually go to Bible college before I can have this authority so 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 we're all on a different walk but we're, we we do you know struggle with actual authority that's already been given to us now and I know that because of my pre-encounter experience which started in 2001 when we came back to Raro I wanted to know the truth, and so I started studying. I bought, I don't know how many Bibles I had, all different kinds of Bibles. I started studying with different uh, religious groups because I wanted to know the truth, and as the years went on, I started actually getting a lot of Bible and scriptural knowledge, and that's good. You know, you, you should go after Bible and strict, uh, scriptural knowledge, but the thing is, <coughs> you can study all you like. You could quote every Bible in the Scripture, but unless you're born of the Spirit of God, you'll never be able to operate in spiritual authority because it's just head knowledge. And, and, and the actual fact is you may know about God's authority because you've read about it, and you can even teach about God's authority because you've, you've studied it for so long, but in actual fact, then you, you don't have an anointing. There's no anointing on that. You can teach people, and, and, and people can learn exactly what you've learned, but there's actually no impartation of your ministry of, of authority or power. The person, if, if you're just teaching, the person only learns what you've taught him and then he'll go into the Bible and unless he wants to get that spiritual authority and, 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 uh, um, and want to extend his ministry, he'll be the same as you. He'll just be able to share. It's like a, a historical story, basically. We don't... See, see, that's the problem these days, and people get confused about the power of a ministry. Uh, and how, no matter how big that church or that religious group is, a lot of it is just, it's teaching. It's like they've taught a historical book, and then the next person taught a historical book. But the power of the word is still there, so it draws people in. But it's actual no spiritual authority to move and shift things. It's just head knowledge. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we go along, but you, you might be scratching your head and saying, not quite understanding. But the, the fact is that when I uh, was doing the study, and it was probably from about 2001 to 2007, if anyone had asked me at that time, what spiritual authority you, do you have, do I have, I wouldn't have been able to answer because I didn't actually know what it was. I could have said, well, Jesus had this authority because I knew he could cast out demons. I knew he could heal, but that it didn't apply to me, so I wouldn't actually be able to answer. Now, my post-encounter experience was a little different because I'd met Jesus in, in a supernatural encounter in 2008, and immediately, immediately, I was released by a whole lot of bondages, and but not all. Like, so I didn't have 
I didn't have total authority or wisdom or that over every facet of my life, but there were certain things I did, and I knew that God had given me authority in the area of uh, unforgiveness or that spirit of unforgiveness and that spirit of condemnation and guilt. He'd given me immediate authority over that because I knew why he, and I knew he had because there was an outworking of that. I immediately went to find people on the island that um, I hadn't hurt, that actually hurt me, but because I'd held this resentment uh, and unforgiveness towards them, I had to go to them and find them and ask for their forgiveness. The first one was my wife. She was in New Zealand. She'd already left. She'd already left this despicable man. So I had to ring her up and say, you know, basically say, I'm sorry, like at two or three in the morning, and I had to, I had to bribe my mother. No, actually, I was crying. That's why my mother actually gave me her number because I we were that far apart that she, we didn't even I didn't even know where her number was in New Zealand. We'd been torn that far apart, and so I sort of cried to my mother, "Please, I've met Jesus," and she said, "Oh my goodness, Kevin, you've had a mental breakdown." <laughs> but, but, hey, but but here's his number. Here's her number anyway. So I so I, I ring her. But here's, here's, the, here's the divine thing about it. Like, she doesn't ever want to see me or hear from me or talk to me again. But she said, this is her testimony. She said, as soon as I hear, heard his voice, like the, hello, it was like, I knew he was a different man. No, she did. She did. And it wasn't because I was probably crying but, and, and sobbing because it had this supernatural encounter. But she just knew this is a different guy. And so anyway, where was I? No, I'm talking about, you know, you know the, the supernatural encounter. So I knew I had the, this authority over unforgiveness. And, and, and here's another freaky thing. Like, we'd built this house, and, like, a lot of guys had come up their building, and, and then I'd found out later that they'd stolen from me and all that, and then I wanted to beat them up and kill them and had the spirit of, spirit of murder on me. But they all disappeared because they knew I'd found out. And so this is two years later. I hadn't seen any of these guys because I knew if I'd seen them, I would have jumped out of the car and chased them. This is the divine thing about them. Now I love these guys all of a sudden because I'm, cause, cause I've, I've got this supernatural authority of unforgiveness. And God has brought these guys to me over a two-day period all in front of me. At like, I'd, I'd walk into a shop and I'd see the guy and he's like, oh, and I'm like coming up to him and to give him the big hug. Actually, I wanted to hug them, these guys. And they were like, oh, 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 yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm hugging these guys, I'm forgiving these guys, I'm giving these, what do you need? Have you got, are you, are you struggling? I'm giving guys money and all sorts of things because I'd had this authority given to me. And that's what God does. He gives you authority in areas that he knows are going to influence and affect other people. So that was my little post-encounter experience. But each and every one of us here today has a God potential. Like he wants to break in to your guys' lives. You might know what they are. You know, might know what your strengths are. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to open your potential as well, your God potential. Let's go to a scripture because I love these scriptures. Uh, it's long, but I'm going to break it all up. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 31. But I'm just going to go basically 4 to 11 first, and then we'll start breaking these down because I believe that God today wants to awaken those strengths or that God potential in you. And like I'm saying, uh, I don't believe that he will like give you authority like 
bang, he, he could do that if he wanted to, and he probably has in, in times gone by, that given someone just ultimate authority in one shot. But I think as we read the scripture, you'll see what I mean why he doesn't do that and why he's, he, he gives uh, people authority in this area, some people authority in that area, and he breaks open things like that. So 1 Corinthians 12, we'll go from 4 to 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To the another... To another, miracle powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So it's, it's the Holy Spirit that, that identifies those strengths, those gifts in your lives. But you ask yourself, well, what is, and, and then you'll say, well, what, is the, what are those gifts in, in my life? I don't really know what they are. I have an idea. Well, well, Jonathan touched on it before when he said, you know, the natural speaks of the spiritual. So what are your, your, your ex, what's your expertise in the natural? You should know some of those things. You know, because I believe that these gifts, and, and, and what the world would call them is like their personality traits or they've been passed down, or, you know, it's something that's built into your DNA, you know. But actually, in actual fact, those good things are gifts from God. And He wants you to use those things in the kingdom, to build the kingdom of God. Because when you, when you think, you know, and I've always thought about this, you know, how can children that are born to the same mother and father, and, and yet and have the, seemingly the same upbringing, be so different? You know, because God's made it that way. If you want to, I know that. I know the, the, the difference, in, even me and my brother, we're only, we're five days short of a year apart, so we're pretty close. And, um, you know, we, we had the same upbringing and all that, but there's so many differences. I mean, Tina can testify to that. We're just so different than each other, whereas we had the same opportunities, we had the same upbringing, we had the same love of the same mother and father, um, so it's very interesting, eh? and you'll know that in your own families, that you may have, you know, siblings that exactly the same uh, upbringing and all that, but so different, eh? God's gifted every single person uh, with this uh, particular type of, of, of gift or talent, something that uh, He wants to use. But often we don't, we don't sort of um, identify uh, that with the building of the kingdom of God. Okay, where are we? Yeah, so God has given us, or given you, all of us, a specific jurisdiction or mandate to operate on, in. Each of us has been blessed with positive personality traits, good works, compassion, helps, leadership, administration, teaching, and wisdom, all these sorts of things. And even like uh, when Jesus comes onto the scene and he gathers his 12 disciples uh, who, who then become apostles, even, you know, he, they're mandated to do something, and that's to build the kingdom of God and to build the church. 
But even I believe that those 12 apostles, their churches would have had a distinct DNA or, or something to them as well because it would have come with the man, you know, prior to meeting Jesus, you know, because they weren't all exactly the same people. No way they were. They're all different people as well. But when they came to Jesus, he said, okay, you're going to be apostles and this is what you're going to do. You're going to go out and build the kingdom of God. They would have had ministries that were doing exactly the same job, but had a different type of DNA. You know how Jonathan sometimes talks about the celebration movement. It's just different DNA. It's, the same, it's for the same cause and for the, under the same power, but there's just this difference. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about how we find that difference, uh, a point of difference, even in you as, as an individual. Let's go on. Um, starting at 12. And I love this because Paul now starts using an illustration. You know how Jesus, when he taught, he taught a lot in parables? Well, well I like it here because Paul starts shifting things. He's talked about, you know, uh, spiritual gifts, and now he starts shifting things into an illustration so that the body can really grip and understand what he's talking about. And it starts at 12. Just as the body, that's the church, Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the spirit to drink, the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We understand that, correct? Amen? It's talking about the the church, the body of Christ. We're all made up one spirit, but we all have different roles to play. 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be this, the, the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So basically, what he, he's using the illustration of a human body to say, You're a, you've got a role to play, in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter what part you are, you are very necessary. There's, there's, there's no greater part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. You've got to find what part of that body of Christ you are. So you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm still not sure where my strengths lie. You know, am I a hand, am I a foot, am I a sacroiliac joint? A Latimus Dorsey. I'm just bringing out all the anatomy words I know. It's, it's all, the, all, the, all the things I've injured while I was playing. But, <laughs> but, but what I'm trying to say here is, you, you know, do, do you know what your strengths are? What part of the body you are? Or what part of the body you, you would long to, to be? Or you see yourself in? Because if you do, then you need to start exercising. You know, the parts of the body. If a hand just sat there and did nothing the whole time, it would start seizing up or wouldn't do anything. 
you actually need to start exercising. And with the exercising, that's what the step, you know, you're stepping out in faith to exercise that authority that you've got under under the, the, the blood of Christ. And so here's some basics. If you haven't exercised a muscle or that strength that you've, you know you have and you know that obviously God has gifted you with, there's some basic ones as young Christians you can start off with. You do have the authority over the fear of man. This is an easy one. And when I say the fear of man, the fear of man is like uh, you don't really like people knowing that you're a Christian because you know, of the things you've done in the past and then, you know, you might then feel guilty or, or, or feel condemnation that, you know, you, you, you don't want to be out there and say, yes, I'm a Christian. You don't want to invite people to church. Oh, you're a Christian now, you know, that sort of thing. That's the fear of man. How do you exercise that? You testify and you say, or you just say, hey, I go to church now. Why don't you come? You know, you start pushing that thing down that's, that, 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 that's hindering you. It's a strength. What's another easy one to start off with? Uh, you do have authority over the spirit of infirmity and sickness. You do. And, 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 and this is for, for you young Christians. You don't have to start by going up to the hospital and laying hands on people. No, start with yourself. Start with that sore knee. Start with the sore hands. And start praying, exercising that authority over your own body. It works. It absolutely works. I remember the, a real good testimony was with our Brian where he'd had a, a, a bad knee, it was arthritic, the doctors had given up on it, and he said what he would do, he'd, he'd go start for a walk, and it would just be so painful, and he'd stop, and he'd, he'd pray over his knee, he'd lay hands on his injury, and he said he'd go a bit further, and then he'd jog, and it'd be so painful, and he'd pray. Eventually, his, his authority, the authority he used, fixed his knee, it's good to this day. When, when the doctors have said that was it, it's gone. You do have authority over the spirit of intimidation. You do. If you've been intimidated at school, if you've been intimidated in the workplace, if you've been intimidated uh, by a family member, and here's a, here's a bit of a condition on this. I'm not saying you go and lay hands on that person. I'm not saying you walk straight into the office tomorrow and then put, lay hands on your boss's head <laughs> and say, I come against your spirit of intimidation. You'll probably get the, you'll probably get the sack. No, I'm saying you take authority in the spirit realm. You take authority in the spirit realm and you start commanding that spirit of intimidation to come off that person. Commanding the spirit of love and of peace and of joy and of understanding to come over that person. It works. You know, and it's just you exercising that authority. What's another one? Praying against the elements. That's another easy one. I don't know how many Christians that I've heard in parts of their testimony where they've talked about, they've said, you know, it'd be a situation where they just didn't, they didn't need it to rain. It couldn't rain for this particular reason. And they'd pray and it would stop raining or there'd be a break in the weather for that particular time or function. Another easy one. You know, it's just exercising that authority. And then, and then as you start to exercise that authority, then other things can come and happen for you. Carrying on, because, you know, the thing is, God, I believe, he loves diversity. He loves variety. And he does, because you can tell he does, because of what he said in his scripture. You know, how he used the, uh, how Paul uses the illustration of the body. You know, the gifts. You, even here, you might be still s sitting here today and say, I don't have gifts. 
I, I, I don't believe I have a gift. You do have a gift. Everyone has gifts. Here's my illustration. When I looked up and saw these poor, sorry, um, Christmas trees this morning, what, what are they missing? Gifts. gifts. Poor things. <laughs> gifts at the bottom of the tree. Each and every one of you has a gift at the foot of your tree. Yeah. You do. You do. Not like these poor, sorry, I bet you next week there's these little boxes. <laughs> Media will take care of that now. Okay, let's continue. We're nearly there. 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, and this is really important for those who don't believe they have gifts, and I know you have a gift. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means you can't do without them. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while the presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We'll stop there, because... Here's an example. Can you see my finger? Yeah, I was up on the roof and I had to nail something down. And I don't know why I did it, but I had my hand at that end and I had to just nail this, this, um, this uh, what do they call it, flashing. Nail it down and I had my hand there and I went bang, 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 and I didn't move my hand. <laughs> and... I, that, that is to prove, you know, when that one finger got hurt, I tell you, my whole body, the whole body suffered. It wasn't just that finger. The whole body suffered. It's true. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you know, if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. But if one part of it rejoices, we'll all rejoice. Let's move on to 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. The body of Christ is the church guys, and God has placed in the church, and this is where Paul qualifies that a body needs direction. You know, there are, there are, are parts he said, you know, I, 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 God basically says, I don't consider any part of the body better than the other, but there does need to be order, eh? Imagine if the, the body had no order at all and the hand was going that way, a foot was going that way. So, so this is where Paul qualifies that there is order in the body of Christ. Uh, where he says, 28, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all, do all do miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But here's, here's the clincher. Here's the real gold nugget in this whole thing, the game changer. He, d he actually does then say, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So whether you've started off as a finger and then as your Christian walk builds, because you've, you've, you've identified there's a, there's, a, there's a gift that I've been giving. I'm going to use that in the kingdom of God. I'm going to grow in the kingdom of God. Like I use the uh, unforgiveness. You know, I can, I can to this, this day, I can talk to anyone 
and feel I have authority to talk about unforgiveness and condemnation and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, I've desired for the greater gifts as well. And then that moves your ministry on. Yeah? Amen? And so that, that is a, that, that's a, a game changer, that one. So yeah, once you've figured out where you and God have this, this spiritual authority, you, you know, don't be satisfied with that. Want more. Desire for those, the, those other gifts. Um, I want to go back to, 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 you know, as I said at the, at the start of um, this message, you know, where did it all come from? And we know where it came from, but it's good to know and that we can sort of uh, chronologically this, uh, figure out how this authority came about. And we know it came with Jesus, but it actually, it came through uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. So we know that Jesus was uh, baptized and we'll read in Matthew 3.16. Matthew 3.16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So this is where the, the, the Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus and then, and then, then begins his three-year ministry, right? So then we know after that, Jesus goes off into the wilderness, doesn't eat fast for the next 40 days and, and um, rebukes the devil. And then we know he goes on and starts grabbing his disciples, who again are going to become his apostles, apostles and, and, and all his followers. And so these 12 that he picked, these apostles, grew in authority as they watched them operate in the supernatural. And as I said before, these 12 are just ordinary men. And, and as disciples, he had women as well. They were just ordinary people. They each had their faults. They each had, had their strengths. And yet these 12, Jesus picked. And in Luke 1, we read, Luke, Luke 9, 1, sorry, Luke 9, 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Remember that, that his ministry was very short, and yet I'm not sure when exactly he called these twelve. But it was it was certainly after they'd seen him, uh, you know, the God Himself work in this power, Jesus Himself work in this power, and and and, uh, and move, you know, basically move mountains. That's an illustration. Basically, heal the sick. They saw this, so they they were, I suppose, at a Christian today, you might be saying, oh, well, they were at an advantage. They were right there with. God himself, they were right there with Jesus himself when they saw it. So when Jesus gave them that authority, it would have been so easy for them to go out and then create these things. But as we know, as Jesus goes to the cross, they, their weaknesses really come out. And yet, you know, they denied him, you know, they, 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 they basically weren't part of, you know, the, the whole thing. They slept when he said, don't sleep, you know, that sort of thing. So they, were, they had weaknesses just like us. So he calls them and he gives them power and authority, as it says in Luke 9.1. So the power and authority we're talking about, and we often talk about the dunamis power, eh? But the power of authority that he gave them was uh, what they call exousia. Can you say that? Exousia? It's spelled E-X-O-U-S-I-A. So that's basically that power is, is the right. It's the right to use that power. So he's given them... And it says in nine, power and authority. 
So exosia is the authority to use that power. The, the, the dunamis power is the outworking or the demonstration of exosia. So, so you know, the, the, the hand that's shriveled, that comes to life, uh, the, the guy that's blind, that sees, the, the crippled guy that picks up his mat and walks, that's the demonstration, that's the dunamis power. But God also gave them exosia power, the, the authority to use that power. So that's very important. It's, it, it's important because it's what we need, you know, in our ministry for the demonstration of the dunamis power. So we need that authority. So the, the 12 have that, and they go off, and then we see in Luke 10, 19, there's another sort of illustration, when, when Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. That's what Jesus says. So he said, he said to them, I give you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, he doesn't mean literally stepping on snakes and scorpions, although they probably could have without being getting hurt. No, those snakes and scorpions he's talking about are in the spirit realm. That's what he's given them authority and power over, to shift things in the spirit realm. That's what he's saying there. He said, of course they could do it in the natural, but why would you want to kill all of God's creatures? <laughs> you know? He's talking about the little demons. He's talking about that spiritual realm. You've got to kill those things. And then we know, of course, Jesus goes to the cross. And so we'll go to Acts 1, 4 to 8, because this is very important for us, church. Jesus is going to the cross, and he gives instructions to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And we've heard the story. Acts 1, 4 to 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. And then he's saying, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that, that was an instruction. Wait, I'm going but the promise of the Father is going to, you're going to meet with, with the, the, the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We'll go straight back down to number 8, Acts um, 1, 4, 8. Because again, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So that again, He's promising. He's, he's giving them the power through the Holy Spirit. Now we go to Acts 2, 2 to 4. And this is the actual account when they're, when they're all gathered together. When the day of Pentecost had, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That means they were all together and they were all agreeing. They all knew that Jesus had told them, this is what we're doing, this is, th this is what you're doing, this is what you've got to do, you've got to wait there. They're all in one heart, one mind, one accord. That's what the body of Christ, remember we're a body, and if one part does something out of place, it affects the whole body. But if we're in one accord, we're all desiring the gifts of the Spirit, then it's easy for the Spirit to come. So here we are. They are um, at Pentecost, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know that, that Holy Spirit that came that, uh, that, at that time? It's the very same Holy Spirit that's here right now. You know, he's waiting. He's waiting. They came with one accord, one heart and one mind. And they knew because Jesus had told them they'd walked with Jesus, they'd seen his authority, and they knew that something special was going to happen, and, and it did. The Holy Spirit came, and they started all speaking in tongues. And they went on, and those ministries uh, uh, were a result of what happened there, basically, that we still carry that power and authority, we still carry that love for Christ, that these people then went out, into the world they were martyred but before they were martyred and killed and, and crucified they had already passed on that holy spirit to a next generation then to the next generation and then 2000 odd years later here we are nothing's changed nothing has changed the holy spirit that was right there at that time that came down and anointed those people is here today all we need to do is give him the invitation. I'm here, God. I, I want to know what my strengths are. I want to be a full working part of the body of Christ. I want to be able to extend your kingdom. Because at the end of the day, and, and we know when, when you know in your heart of hearts, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. You, you know, the Bible talks about how many, how, and how many verses and how many times is, you know, there's nothing else in life you can you can accumulate all the wealth in the world. You can get it, go, go for everything worldly, but at the end of the day, if your soul is not prospering, there's nothing. There's nothing. And so these guys, and, th and then even, even now, even now if you have the slightest bit, uh, uh, bit of doubt, read this scripture in John 14, 12. And this is Jesus saying again, John 14, 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing so we know what his works are and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father that's amazing that he knew the Holy Spirit was going to descend on this group of people he knew that that group of people there was no way that with with the Holy Spirit in living in these people that the word of God was not going to be extended to the far reaches of the earth and continue to be extended until he returns. He knew that, and, and we are the beneficiaries of that. We're the beneficiaries of it. We're sitting in a place and a time where we can basically sit here and say, God, anoint me. Make me stronger. Give me an idea of where you want to place me in the kingdom of God, where you want me to build the house, where you, the areas of... of I know because, you know, I have great uh, areas of works. How do, I, how do I translate that over into the kingdom of God? I know because I, I, I believe I've got wisdom. How does that translate to help build the kingdom of God? I know because I feel I've got a, 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 a healing anointing. How does that translate into the kingdom of God? Maximizing that. You know, it might, all this sort of se might seem corporate, but it's not. It's not a business. This is like this is this is life. This is life and death. 
You know, we're extending the kingdom. Here's an example, and I thought about this as well. You know, you might only have one gift, and it might be, say, the gift of um, helps. You know, you love helping people. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to help people into the kingdom of God. So that, that gift of help, you go out and you minister to an unsaved person that you know. You've helped an unsaved person that you know. That unsaved person thinks, man, where did this come from? That is so caring. I want to know where this come from. And then you say to them, oh, I go to a church. Oh, you come. You come. Come to church. You know, you've overcome that, that, that spirit of fear of man. That person comes to church, yeah? And then all of a sudden, in 10 years' time, that person has ministries all over the world. You're, you planted. You planted that seed. See, you may think you're insignificant because you might only have that one gifting, but it's not insignificant. It says there in the Bible, you are no less important than the guys that, you know, that, that, that are the delivering word or, or, or healing or, you know, prophesying and all that because God has a plan as a body. So, so we really have to understand, you know, the, uh, the real importance of where I'm coming from there. Um, I'm going to say that I believe we're in a time where, as Christians, we should actually, in our, in our hearts and our souls, we should be at an all-time high right now. And I'll tell you why we should be at an all-time high right now, as Christians, is because there's so much doubt in the world now. <clears throat> there is a lot of doubt. I don't think, you know... Particularly in our lifetimes, in our generation, there hasn't been this much doubt in the spirit realm, in the atmosphere, over the nations. So much doubt about what next, what happens next. But as Christians, we, we're sitting in the box seat here. We're sitting in the, a driver's seat because we don't have any doubts. Because we have the answers. We have the ultimate answers. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro or visit our website celebration.otonga.com. Until next time.